0: I invite you to turn to pages four and five in your worship guide, where you'll find our Bible reading for the morning. There are three readings listed, but I'm gonna read just the first and the third at this time, and then we'll come back to the one in the middle. So we'll begin with Exodus chapter 40, beginning at verse 34. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they were set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. Now down to Revelation 21, beginning at verse 1. The gospel writer John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and he will, and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Amen. We're in our series called Moving Into the Neighborhood, and the point of the series and also the naming of the capital campaign by the same name is to make the point that we are not first and foremost moving into this neighborhood, although we are. We see a facility as a place to strengthen our core so that we can move into our neighborhoods wherever we live and work and our decentralized mission can flourish. So we don't see ourselves as bringing the mission of the church into a building, but we see ourselves as enabling that mission to flourish out on the edges. So when we say moving into the neighborhood, we're talking about the power of presence. And we're learning that this grows out of the heart of God. God himself is committed to localized presence. You know we don't want to build a church mission just on the latest fad or what some writer has said lately about church leadership. We want to build our church mission on a theological vision. And that's why we come again and again to this idea of the power of presence. We want to build our vision on our vision of God. God himself committed himself to specific people and places, and he's calling us to do the same. So one of the things that we've been doing in this series is getting in touch with the power of presence. And I think it's very, very easy for us to be out of touch with the power of presence in our own lives. And I've been thinking this week of how powerful it is just to have another person with us. And we've been talking about this idea uh, that some of us can remember in sad and glad times of our lives, someone who at great expense, at great cost, maybe drove or flew or made some sacrifice to come be with us. And maybe we can pretty quickly get in touch with that. But there are many, many powerful expressions, I think, in our daily lives of the power of presence. Presence. And I was sitting in my church study yesterday morning, and I looked on my phone and I got a call from somebody in the church. Now, the person who was calling is someone who is very involved in ministries at our church. And there were six or eight things that he could have brought up and talked about things that are in process and not completed. And we could have talked about many things. But what he said was, he said, the reason I'm calling you is I want to ask you how things are going with your mom moving into assisted living. And I'd shared with him earlier in the week that uh, I was surprised at how much grief I was feeling uh, at my mom moving out of her light, independent living place and having to move into this much smaller place. And she was feeling grief and I was feeling grief, surprisingly to me. I think I'm just feeling grief that I feel like I'm losing my mom. And that's really hard. And so he called me and said, basically, I just wanna be with you in that. And I can't tell you how nourishing that was to my soul, how much it soothed me just to have somebody else want to be with me, want to be there. And no doubt, you have, you know, all sorts of examples if you think about it. When, if someone says to you, I just want to be there with you with what you're going through. It's a powerful thing that we can offer each other. You know, those of you who have dogs or those of us who have dogs, what's the, what's the secret sauce of dogs? Uh, they're so companionable, right? Our dog, Sammy, if I go into the kitchen he sort of trundles into the kitchen and flops down and lays his head on the floor and looks at me with the, and I see the little whites of his eyes sort of follow me around the kitchen. And if I go into the family room, after a little while he trundles into the family room and nestles himself down by the little footstool. And if I go in another room, there comes Sammy. The point is, Sammy is committed to being with Lisa and me and that's why we like him so much. And that's why you love your dog too so the problem with sammy is sammy wants sammy sammy's not allowed upstairs and he's gotten into this bad habit lately of man i'm going to be with you people so i'm going to go up there i'm going to go to the bathroom with you i'm going to go you know he just doesn't know the limits of that but sammy but sammy gets it and i think to myself what are some of our deepest fears you know we I've been thinking this week of this thing of the power of withness and we overestimate, in my estimation, we overestimate agency and performance and what we can do and what we can offer others that we do for them. And so we think a lot about, do I need to impress this person with how I look or what I say or how I come across? And all that relates to doing, and it relates to performance. But our deepest fears don't relate to, you know, am I going to come across well in this conversation? Our deepest fears are, am I going to be all alone? Am I going to be abandoned? Is there going to be anybody else who's going to notice me and be with me and join me in particularly the hard places of life? And if I think about it, if you think about it, I think you too would say that your deepest fear is being all alone. I actually had somebody talk to me this week about the, his fear of being abandoned and an event that had triggered that, that fear of abandonment. And so moving into the neighborhood is, is about the power of presence and we're, we're learning that it doesn't start with us. You know, moving into the neighborhood is the Missio Dei, and that's just a Latin phrase for the mission of God. It was something that God started, and now we get to join. So, what we're going to learn today is that 2,000 years ago, uh, God moved into the neighborhood through His Son. And now His Son is moving into the neighborhood through us, the church. That's the way the thing is set up. So, last week... We read this Exodus 40 passage and we arced back to how God's presence was disrupted in the garden. The rebellion and the sin of the people of God created an unrighteous people and an unrighteous people can't be in communion with the righteous God. They become like magnets that repel each other. You know, picture the magnets and if you turn them one way, they, they repel each other. And we talked about it was the grace of God that the Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. So this week, we, so we've been seeing that God begins in the salvation story to restore his presence with his people. That's a big part of the gift of salvation is that God is working out how he can draw near again. And this week, we said we wanted to arc forward into how God's presence uh, is part of the salvation story and then becomes part of the mission of the church. So, Exodus 40, 34, look with me in your worship, God. It says, the cloud covered the tent of meeting. and this is, this is a bit of review, but what was the tent of meeting? The tent of meeting was basically a traveling house of worship. And we're, we're sort of like a tent of meeting today. And they would have been, you know, they would have been in the rain and they would have heard the rain coming down on the tent. But that would have been the place of worship. And Israel was a, was a tent nation. There were a caravan of tents in the exodus in the wilderness. And so you picture that God comes to Moses and he says, set me up a tent. I want to be, I want to have a place with my people. I want a tent too. And it was, it's kind of hard to imagine that, that God was becoming local in the midst of his people and he kind of came in the same way that they were living. They were in tents and he was in a tent and it's really hard to work that out in a way, and so it almost seems like a story or a fable that it says the glory of the Lord settled on the tent in a cloud, and we learned about the Shekinah glory, and it was probably gleaming on the inside of the tent, and I don't know quite how all that looked, but what we're meant to see is that God is trying to work out, drawing near to his people again. And the, you know, the significant thing here is that God was pitching his tent with his people. And we're seeing God's commitment to place. And it all goes back to the covenants that God had with Abraham and Moses when he said, I'm going to commit to you people and I'm going to commit to taking you to a place called the promised land. So we talk around here just about owning local. And one of our greatest needs is to fall in love with the people and places around us. And all of that just sort of ties back to this God who was trying to restore his presence with his people and commit himself to them and to be with them. And so the tabernacle is God owning local. It's the beginning of the restoration of his presence with the people. And so fast forward now to Jesus coming into the world and We know that when Jesus was born at Christmas, we say he is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we've been saying that a faithful translation of John 1.14a is the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. So the gospel writer John probably had Exodus 40 in mind when he said that the word became flesh and he pitched his tent. He pitched his tent by becoming flesh. He tabernacled uh, right there among humanity. And that was the way John was describing Jesus coming into the world. And we know Jesus understood himself to be the temple. He tied himself back to Exodus 40 also. Because he says in John two nineteen, when the Pharisees are trying to kill him, he says, destroy this temple. And I will raise it again in three days. So, do you see what's happening? It's temple, temple, temple. But there's more. I I included this Revelation 21 reading, which is John's vision of the second coming of Jesus. And John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and if you read more of Revelation 21 you'll see there's this description of how the new heavens and the new earth are going to be constructed and it sounds it looks like a building project and you go that seems out of place but then you go back to to first chronicles and you look at how Solomon was directed to construct his temple in Jerusalem the permanent temple now And you find out the instructions are much the same. And the central piece of it was that the new heavens and the new earth would be a cube. The dimensions equal a cube. And then you go back to Solomon's temple and you find that Solomon's temple was directed to be constructed as a cube. And then you read on in Revelations 21 and you see John says, he looked around, and he says, uh, well, let me quote this part. John 21, 22 says, or, I'm sorry, Revelation 21, 22, John writes, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So do you see what we're trying to set up? If you ever wonder, you know, is the Bible God breathed? Or is this thing just a random collection? I think when you see these themes that are threaded together so consistently and congruently and the authors are separated by thousands of years in history, you go, oh my goodness. Moses is writing about the temple in Exodus. Jesus becomes the temple. Then 60 years later, John writes about the temple that is really the new creation in the life to come. When Jesus comes again. So there's just this beautiful... And the theme that is being raised up is temple. Temple, temple, temple. And the temple is where God dwells. So I also think you can see God's grace here. And could I say one more thing? I I didn't say earlier around this whole thing of performance. I think when we lean into the power of presence in our lives we are getting in touch with the gospel because to the extent that we only value what we can do and how we can perform, then we've seen ourselves as having value only according to those things. But when we begin to lean into the power of presence, how we receive it from others and offer it to others, we get, I think we move more, it's almost like an antidote for the drivenness that sometimes our performance orientation can have and it's a sign that the gospel is being worked into our beings but we come here and i think we see god's grace here in revelation 21 because he's really saying to us uh, that he sees your loneliness he sees your longings to be filled and satisfied with the presence of another You know, why was God's mantra in the Old Testament, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. He was saying, there will be a day and there will be a way when I and others will fully draw near. And you will be fully satisfied in me and really each other in the community there. No longer will you know the terror of being alone. No longer will you have to push it away. And so he's saying in Revelation, look, now the dwelling of God is among his people. So here's the point. We're trying to sort of lay out a biblical theology in a way, a biblical theology very, very quickly of presence. So God the Father has moved into the neighborhood by sending Jesus, and we await his coming again. But now we want to ask, how does Jesus move into the neighborhood through us, the church? And so now I want to turn to the 1 Corinthians text that I skipped over. So look with me there in your worship guide on page 5. And so I I bolded some of these phrases. Uh, They're not bolded in Scripture, but I bold them because they're particular phrases and sentences that I want you to note. So verse 9 says, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth, for we are co-workers in God's service. So note that. I didn't bold that, but note that. Who are we? Who is the church? We are co-workers, in God's service that's what the church is in Paul's eyes that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus it means to be a co-worker in his mission for we are co-workers in God's service but then he clarify he qualifies that he says uh, you church are God's field now this goes back to an illustration Paul has just written about where he says I planted Apollos water but God brings the fruit so he's charging the church to be involved in Jesus mission in the world but he's saying your role in a sense is very limited he's saying we'll have a role we plant and water but it is God and God alone that brings the fruit then he moves on and he says and you are God's building church and this is what he wants us to see. Now, here Paul begins to describe how Paul's great concern is that the church knows that Jesus is the foundation of the church. And in chapter 1, he says there are all, other, all sorts of other philosophies around, all sorts of other types of wisdom. And then he says, we believe in the foolishness of the cross. We, church, believe in the foolishness of the cross. The foolishness of the cross is the wisdom and the power of God. And then he goes on to say, in the part I'm not reading here, if you build the mission of the church on anything else but the foolishness of the cross, then you've built it on, 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 on straw and hay and stubble. You've built it on something that will not last. And so the application there is, the church isn't a place where we have many, many sources... Of spiritual wisdom it's not anything goes in terms of we might pick up a little wisdom here and pick up a little we'll read a book here and listen to a podcast there and listen to a blog there it all has to draw back in Paul's mind to the life and the mission and the ministry of Jesus he says if it does not draw you back to the cross then it's not the church has lost its foundation that's Paul's point so then he goes on and he said and well and he says the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to those who have been saved the cross is the wisdom and power of God that's the Apostle Paul but now I want you to jump down to verse 16 in your worship God and it's bolded there and then he says he's building on this and he says don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple okay remember some would say temple in Eden, portable temple in Exodus, Jesus is the temple, all creation is going to be the temple. Now he's saying, in between the first and second comings of Jesus, you are the temple, church. Do you see how this fits in? You are the temple. Now, I, I'm overwhelmed at where to go from here. <laughs> There's so much, but let me just begin begin that process. So Paul says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Now, it's important to know grammatically, he's not talking about individuals here. Now, later he will say, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, but here it's plural, plural. He is saying exactly what Brooke said. She said, where two or three are gathered, there I am in your midst. So he's saying there's power in people who have received Jesus by faith coming together. The Spirit is specially present in our midst. And that's why it's important for us to come together for corporate worship and to come together in small groups. There's something more of the power of the Spirit that is in, at work when we are together. And Paul goes on and he says, well, he says this so many places. He says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, do you not know this about yourselves that Christ is in you? Now, this is union with Christ and it's his drumbeat in all of his letters. He is saying when you receive Jesus by faith, the Spirit of God comes into your life, comes into your heart and soul. The Spirit of Christ convicts you of your sin ministries to you the grace of salvation, seals in you the hope of that salvation and the spiritual inheritance that is yours. All of that is at work blessing you and nourishing you and establishing you in your new identity in Christ. You are now a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. These are Paul's themes. And he is saying really that you can take the rest of your life to sort of unlock the mystery of that. But then he goes on to say, therefore, and now I'm looking at 2 Corinthians 5.20, he says, therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God is making his appeal through us. Do you see how this works? Paul's vision is that the church is now the temple. The church becomes the vessel through which God is reconciling others in the world to himself through Jesus Christ. So, how does, this, how does this work out? We'll, we'll be working this out in coming weeks. But I think it comes back to this idea of uh, surrendering and taking by faith that the presence of the risen Lord now lives in you. And the place to start always is... Uh, what remarkable things that offers us. Have you ever thought that the power of the risen Christ now lives in you and establishes in you all of the riches of eternity and presses into you the hope of the gospel. This is the work of the spirit. Now you have other voices inside of you. You have voices of condemnation and you have lots of other things of the sin nature going on. But when you know it's The presence of the Spirit is when you are being invited into the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. All these things begin to be at work in you, and that's the life of the Spirit in you. And we take by faith that the Spirit is in us. And Paul says now, you know, Jesus said in the Great Commission, he said, uh, I'm leaving, but now you go make disciples and I will be with you. And Paul is saying, now that you have been blessed with every blessing imaginable, let that blessing overflow to others and learn to be present uh, where the Lord has placed you. So last night, and I'm getting to the end, so Brooke, I'll just call you and the band to come up. Yesterday was my high school reunion And I went to high school at Freeman and I had a couple events that I was a part of. And you know, it's nerve wracking to go be part of your high school reunion because you haven't seen people in a long time and you think, well, what will people think and how will I come across and will people recognize me and will I recognize other people? And it's all just very nerve wracking. But I was sort of soaking in this, and I, I just had the thought, um, I, all I really ha- need to do is just be present to these classmates that I love so much. And so it relaxed me, and it relieved me, and I was able to just go and be there. And I found sort of rising up in my own spirit, uh, just a desire for anything that God would do in me. It's, it's not a duty, it's not an <laughs> obligation. But I'm in touch with, as I go back into my community of high school friends, I'm in touch with the blessing that I've received in Christ. And I'm in touch with just sort of the desire that, by God's grace, maybe there would be a bit of an overflow. I don't need to know how that works. I don't need to sort of press. I don't need to feel like it's my duty. But I do live in to the possibility that if I now have become the temple of the Holy Spirit, that God would be pleased to be at work through me. And we're going to unlock that more as we go forward. But what I really wanted to get to today was this thing that Paul establishes about the church now being the place that where God dwells and what God uses. So Jesus... You know, the God the Father moved into the neighborhood through us. I'm sorry, God the Father moved into the neighborhood through Jesus. And now Jesus moves into our neighborhoods through us. So let's pray and continue to reflect as we respond. Father, scarcely really do we know the blessings that we have received in Christ Jesus and the hope of the new creation and the guarantee, really, that we will be a part of that, uh, not through anything that we have done, but uh, by the faith that you have given us and by the grace that you extend. And we really long just to receive your vision for the church as co-workers in your service, and I pray you would uh, kind of free us or relieve us from any wrong notions of that, but free us to be everything that you intend our church to be as we have the opportunity to move into our neighborhoods all of over this city as well. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.